0: to Recovery Internet Radio. The show's so good. People are sliding off the road to get here. Uh, we've, got, we've got a wonderful guest here tonight. Thank you for uh, braving the cold here. I know we're, we're an internet radio station, so thanks for joining us uh, on the internet airwaves. And uh, if you're not from the Chicagoland northern suburban area, uh, you, don't, you might not know. It's a, little, it's a little rough out there tonight, so thanks for being here tonight. Sure. Uh, I, I would like to introduce our host tonight and every night, Mr. Rick Atwater.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, our show straight stuff on addictions. Uh, tonight, our tag is the Marijuana Maintenance Program, which um, will only captures a very small part of what we're going to talk about, but um, I thought it might get your attention.
0: <laughs> you just like the catchy titles. I know, <laughs> I do. I like I know the how you roll.
1: Titles. Um, actually, I like, one of my favorites was um, Crackhead Pinball.
0: Remember that one? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I don't I don't remember how many listens we we got that night, but it was it was pretty good. So anyway, thanks for joining us tonight uh where we are every Sunday night at 7. Um and thanks to our engineer Chris. Ahoy. He's our regular uh regular engineer. Regular something. And our uh guest David. Hi. Hey. And um you can call in if you have any questions or comments or opinions. Um and you can Reach us by calling 323-792-2977. That's our regular call-in number. That's
0: 323-792-2977. Or you can always uh, – we, we, we can take your calls on air live if you're listening right now. Uh, we can also uh, answer tweets if you're on the Twitter thing. You can follow us at Rick Atwater, and uh, I, I check that, and I'll, I'll relay that to uh, the host with the most over here, and you can get your question answered on the air as well. Yeah. That's at Rick Atwater via Twitter. You also find us on Facebook at Recovery Internet Radio. Uh, check our website recoveryinternetradio.com, dot com links to all of those locations and access to our archived shows. So if you want to go back and check out that crackhead pinball, feel free. Yeah, mm-hmm. or any or any of the shows. Um, and
1: frankly, most a majority of the people that listen to us do listen to archived shows. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's fine. We're glad that you you whoever whoever you are out there that you're listening whenever you listen. And we hope that you um, consider passing the link along um, to anyone you think could benefit by hearing it, or who might be interested in it. That way, that's how we grow. And that's I know we you you and I, David, were talking about that that you passed it you passed it around to the people that you wanted to listen. So that's right.
2: Welcome everybody. (laughs) Yeah, hi all
1: of David's friends and family. (laughs) Welcome to the show. (laughs) Welcome to the show. It's the um, only way I can get their attention yeah. is to talk to them yeah. on the radio. We'll definitely, you know, we'll, and, and it'll be archived, so you can tell them about it later, and, <laughs> and they can listen to it again if they didn't listen to it right the first time. Um, a couple of things. Do you want to mention, do you, Chris, do, you, do we have anything we want to mention tonight, or do you want to take care of that at halftime? You our, know what, I'd just friend? like to
0: say a quick word about uh, a program that we're involved with that really got off the ground. Sidekicks Mentoring—it's um, uh, it's a volunteer program, absolutely no cost, and we serve um, youth, in, in kind of youth, adolescents in crisis. Maybe uh, picture Big Brothers and Big Sisters, but but they won't let you in. That's that's where that's where we uh, that's where we come in. So we're really looking for uh, for kids and for for mentors, people that are uh, looking to make a difference and people that need a difference made. So if you know anybody, uh, please check us out at SidekicksMentors.org. Yeah, it's a,
1: it's a good cause. And uh, one quick thing that I want to mention is there is a film called Anonymous People. Um, and it is, you can, you can see the trailer for Anonymous People by going to anonymouspeople.com, uh, I believe anonymouspeople.com, and, and they'll show you what it's about. But basically, um, it's about the recovery movement. And it's a very interesting film. It's not commercially available. It's not in theaters, but certain people have either purchased it or have have, have it, had it made available to them and, uh, and do private showings of it. And we're, there's going to be a showing here in our area in Crystal Lake at the Dole Mansion in the listening room uh, on January 22nd at 630. So if anybody's interested in seeing um, – Anonymous people it's really very interesting. I've seen it and uh it's uh startling so i think I think they use the number twenty one million recovering people in the United States. It's quite a few yeah, it's a
0: powerful movie. We'd yeah. love for you to uh if you, so, you can make it what was the date and the time
1: january twenty second uh at six thirty I don't have the flyer in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And uh, you can always go. We'll put, why don't we put the flyer up on the website, on Roger. our website?
0: Yeah. You can check Recovery Internet Radio tomorrow, and it'll uh, be up there.
1: Okay. Ready to roll? Sure. Okay. Ready to roll? Yeah? Okay. We're good. Rolling. We're all good. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, um, so you and I have had a chance to talk, and we've known each other for a little while. Anyways, sure. We've had numerous contacts at numerous locations. <laughs> that shall remain nameless at this time. <laughs> all good. Yeah, All good. And uh, so I know a couple things about you, but you, I, I believe, you told me that you you're from a pretty big family. Sure, I grew up. In, I was born into
2: a an extremely large family. We were um, on the southwest side of Chicago. Um, Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the seventh child of what would become thirteen children. Mm-hmm. Uh, By the time I was born, life was already a regimented set of rules. Hmm. Everything was...
1: That's the way it works with with a big family. got to run it like a... Like a a team. Like an organization. Right. Right. You know, there were wash days for different colors of clothes. There was uh, behaviors for
2: age groups. Hmm. And um, expectations that were without question. So... You were, we were all going to church on Sunday.
1: That was just understood. Yeah, you were gonna, everybody was going to church on
2: Sunday as a yeah. family. Yeah. And um, chores, were there was expected
1: by age. Yeah, I remember I asked you what, you know, you lived in the city, and I said, what, what neighborhood? And you said, no, by, it goes by parish, parish there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were in St. Camilla's Parish. St.
1: Camilla's Parish. Yeah, there, was a, there was a lot of them nearby,
2: St. Sinferos, Our, Our Lady of Snow's, uh, St. Renee. And they were all representative of different, um, basically communities.
1: Yeah. In the neighborhood. Yeah. Areas. Of, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so when, so, well, what was it like being, you were, you my were, dad was a mechanic and yeah.
2: he, he, he was an independent businessman his whole life. There were times when he worked for other people, but for the most part, he ran his own business. Um, he had just opened up a, uh, service garage gas station when I was mm-hmm. young. Yeah. And, uh, And so uh, he provided for the family throughout the entirety of their life together. My mom and dad believed that they had a working agreement. She was in charge. She was the queen of the home and he was the king of the garage, the gas station. (laughs) Right. The two kingdoms didn't collide. They, you know, they they respected each other. Yeah. As long as he kept providing for children, she would have more children. (laughs) 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 And, And
1: as long as, do you, you know, think they worked it out before he had, you know, like, okay, can you cover this? Oh, no, it was, no. Re-
2: it was really a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants operation. <laughs> um, and because he provided for us, he was given allowances that seemed to be cultural, at least in my neighborhood. Mm. If the provider came home from work having done his job, he was entitled
1: mm-hmm.
0: to
2: certain yeah liberties, yeah, in our home, it was that Dad was entitled to be completely bombed
1: by mm-hmm. the
2: time he arrived home. Mm-hmm. He'd stop working at seven and they would drink till into the night eleven eleven thirty,
1: yeah, remember
2: when he came home, he was a visitor,
1: right, he was living in the queen's house then right
2: at that point, you know right. take your shoes off, you right. know, you know, and uh um you know, there were times when we ran away from and hid when Dad came home because we didn't know who was coming home, yeah you know, Jekyll or Hyde, if he came home into the evening, seven, eight o'clock at night. But inevitably it was a consistent theme. He was going to be drinking most yeah. of the time.
1: Yeah. Was that, was that um, the culture at the time? Well, actually I
2: admired that men would come after work to my dad's place and they'd sit in the back room and drink and talk. Yeah. I always wanted that in my life. Yeah. That, you know, at, at some point I'd be able to hold um, a court, with other people and have conversation. As a as a child, you don't know the words they're saying. They always change it when the kids are around. It right. always became about
1: what a good boy he is, or he should behave himself. Yeah, but you knew they were talking about something. Something else. else yeah, <laughs> you know. Just before you walked into
0: the room, and then
2: after I left, you go, you know, go work in the in the uh, showroom or whatever. Right. So, um but they, the 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 other kids' fathers seemed to be drinkers too. Yeah. Especially when we had, you know. Uh, block parties. Yeah. You know, a backyard party. We had graduations going on all the time or birthdays or something. <laughs> and so we'd be in the back backyard. pretty much
1: yeah. At least at least pretty much every month plus. Right. You know. <laughs> right. We had a birthday every month
2: except June, mom and dad's yeah. anniversary. So yeah.
1: so there was parties all the time and, and
2: they were punctuated by alcohol mm-hmm. use.
1: And it was like, I mean, how, how did you view that? Did you view that as, as, a, as a problem or troublesome or was it just you, the way it was? Or? You, you could imagine that at some night you're terrorized by the way your father behaves
2: toward your mother or your older brothers because several of them tried to stand up to him. Right. And I remember him pinning at least one of them down on the floor, kind of like taunting him mm-hmm. for saying he was going to kill my dad. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's going you're going to kill me? You know? Mm-hmm being terrorized by him, you know, shouting at my mom or throwing things around. And then the next morning he's sitting at the table like,
1: you know, Mr. Cleaver, you yeah. know,
2: and mom is behaving like nothing happened.
1: And that's that, that's that entitlement thing that you're talking about.
2: Well, we, what what does that mean to you? It means to me that whatever happened last night is part of what is a normal lifestyle. Right.
1: My normal included that. Right. So that's how. That's that's what that that was sort of built in for you. Yeah. The you know the
2: the beatings continued until morale improved.
1: You know. <laughs> you know.
2: Uh, we, right. we we you know and some and my dad wanted to be proud of us. I mean, at one one graduation party, he wanted my brother to perform. You know, and my brother said no. You know, and my dad wouldn't hear of it. But he was so blasted that he beat my brother up, and you know, it was like made a complete fool of himself and yet after that
1: we, just, we didn't hear about it we just forgot about it
2: yeah we didn't yeah and I'm sure you know my brother would have liked it to have been resolved right so um, yeah the resolution was get bombed you know, right. drink right that's what we do we're entitled right when I went to college and and <laughs> i i I was trying to get away from home more than I was trying to get an education right I had failed to get to the boarding school the seminary when I was in grade school uh going from grade school to high school because um well, I found out my mom didn't have any money, but conveniently some girl kissed me before I got right. to high school. My brother told
1: my mom and she said, we're not going now let me just let me just back up a minute so she kissed you or did you kiss her? No, she kissed me. Oh, I never okay. saw it All right. coming. Just checking. I <laughs> was just never a... saw
2: it coming. Out of the blue. Oh my god, yeah. You know. It was like <laughs> Where she... where was I?
1: I <laughs> Because I didn't need to go to the seminary and that never happened to me. So, I know. was
2: like I I was I was anyway, so I was at so that point you got
1: kissed and that was the re- that was the I was given reason. Sh-
2: and I was punished by putting, being put into a public school for high school. But later
1: you found out it was because of the money.
2: Yeah, and it was, you know, it was like 30 years later. Right. You know, and it was almost like by myself, uh, I'm not sure, probably because we didn't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean,
1: <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. I get that. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I went to this, uh, this cool idea was a public school for half a day and then a Catholic school for the other half a day for parents who couldn't afford full-time. Oh, okay. So we walked in between schools. I got a girlfriend. It was kind of cool. First year was nice. Got on the cross-country team. And after uh, the first year of high school, uh, we, we were drinking in between classes, uh, in between schools. One of my friends would raid his dad's liquor cabinet. Yeah. And that's where my, you know, we would test yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Did you like the taste of it? No, I like the effect. I mean, yeah. it was. He started yeah. with slow gin. Yeah. it was like a syrupy stuff. That was a
1: test. Yeah, I know because who likes the taste when they first. <laughs> are, when you're a kid, who likes the taste of alcohol? Well,
2: none. Of, I never heard anybody ever say gasoline, that beer know? tasted great. Yeah, you know, they no, just went, yeah. like, give me another beer. No, exactly. Uh, slow gin. Is that what you said? Yeah, he was. He was. It's ra- that ra- red, red stuff. Well, he we drank it out of film canisters. It, it was, uh, <laughs> who knew? Slow film can- Is that what he? Yeah, those 35 millimeter film canister. He would rate his father's. Yeah, but pour a little tiny that we would just drink it right out of it. A little shot of yeah. here's yours, shot. here's mine. Yeah, they were like little you know, one shot servings. I never that. That's that's fascinating. Ingenious, right?
1: Ingenious.
0: Kids these days they won't know. They like got digital kids. Yeah. they'll never they'll never get yeah, that. they'll, never, the they'll never get, get that. that. They don't even know what thirty five <laughs> millimeter means. <laughs> so,
2: but, but that wasn't my real drinking. My real drinking was uh, fifteen years old. Um, prior to that I broke I, I I got elected to go to a leadership camp for the Red Cross. And having finished that camp, I was to participate in leadership seminars uh, in Chicago, the city Mm -hmm. downtown. My parents had this thing, if you were involved in school or an activity, you didn't have to go to my dad's work, my garage. Mm.
1: Didn't
2: have to work there? Right. But it had to be an organized activity. Yeah. So I, I was... You know, scouts. You're all about Red <laughs> Cross, <laughs> cross country, right? You know, basket weaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can I help you, friend? Water meditation Whatever. whatever. <laughs> right. I was in the scouts, so um, Saturday morning I get uh, head down to the meeting. The meeting starts at noon, but I'm going early because you know saves me a half a day of working at the gas station.
1: Yeah. How do you get? You take a bus there? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah. One one bus all the way downtown. So yeah. I'm going to to the building, and I happen to be passing a place where uh, there's a lot of gay bars. Mm-hmm. This is my fifteen years old wearing mm-hmm. my cross country jacket on this, you know, yeah. naive blonde haired yeah. Southwest Sider. And a guy approached me in his car and asked me if I wanted to ride. So yeah. you know, sure. Yeah. These people in Chicago are really
1: They're nice, really you know, so friendly.
2: And then he locked me in and yeah. molested me. Yeah. And um I got he dropped me off in front of the Red Cross building and I had so much experience in turning off the mm. tragic moments prior to that. Mm-hmm. I went to the Red Cross meeting and didn't say anything to anybody about it until I got home, and my brother said, What? You ha- a guy did that to you? You're gay. I'm telling mom. You know, so most of my fear was that he was going to tell my mom. Mm-hmm. He, did he? Never. Mm. And I, didn't t- you know, I don't know that she even ever heard about it. Mm. But I didn't have another relationship for 10 years. What I did was proceed to get really good at drinking.
1: Mm. Um, our first. Because that's the pattern. That's how you do it. Something happens. Don't know how to deal with it. Go on to the next day as if it didn't. And then somehow magically it goes away. And the magic apparently for you was largely liquid.
2: Until um, my uh, one of a family member came uh, and said, you know, pot. THC, LSD, this is the answer. Mm-hmm. And it was a con- It was the counterpoint to drinking. Mm-hmm. And his argument always was that drinking, you know, you're all drunk and hungover, and mm-hmm. you don't have any of that with these things. Yeah. You know, and uh, um, by and large, I mean, there wasn't that heavy, you know. Sure. Uh, sure, you hangover.
1: can get get hazy. Right. Yeah. Rather than drop out. Yeah. Rather than whatever. Yeah.
2: So um, blackout. So so there was this you know it it was almost like competing doctrine in the same household you know. And all of it was about
1: avoiding dealing with things. What would have happened um, so you're like still in high school after this happened. What, What would happen if it got out in your family that you were smoking pot?
2: My mom knew that my other brothers among them, first of all, we all knew that there was drinking going on. When my dad caught me drinking at 15, he, I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to get the crap kicked out of me now. Right. And he said, behave yourself. And he walked away. And I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I mean, thinking about it now, it was really because the attitude was we weren't trying to not be alcoholic. We were trying to manage our booze. Right, that was the message? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, if a guy crashed a car, it's all uh, he didn't know how to handle his booze. Right. It wasn't that he
1: trained too much. What is, so looking back on it, what did he mean by behave yourself? He meant... Don't get caught. Don't get caught. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, manage it. You know, he had a
2: friend who would staple a $50 bill to his uh, driver's license, and when he got pulled over, he'd say to the cop, I bet you $50 bucks you are going to give me a ticket. <laughs> you know? And he didn't get tickets, and he lost 50 bucks a stop, but he didn't get a ticket. Yeah, you know, um, that was the attitude. Handle your booze, and that was his last resort kind of handling. And
1: it. It, it goes beyond. It really actually goes beyond handle your booze. It goes goes all the way to handle the consequences of your drink. In other words, right? If you're going to drink. Make sure you manage all your shit around, the, oh, around what's going to happen. I, I got that
2: message loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Stable,
1: think ahead. Staple the $50 bill. and da, 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 you know, yeah, yes. that's, that's, yeah, that's very sophisticated. I did the same thing at the
2: end of my drinking.
1: Yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, it was. Had it gone up to 100 by then?
2: Well, I had never. No, I had never done the staple to oh. the, the driver's license. But I had tried to, instead of get sober, I had tried to arrange my life so the consequences would be eliminated so that I can continue drinking too much.
1: How do you do that? I mean, how do you arrange your life so that the, con- I mean, I, I, I can, I could guess, but when, how did you do it? Um, at the,
2: well, first of all, I became Mr. Mom, which was really great because it was like, <laughs> you know, my kid needed me. The wife couldn't stay at home with, uh, with right. her. So for three years, I drank and raised my daughter.
1: Mm. So you were at, uh,
2: at home. So at home. You're not driving. You're not in a public place. Well, You're driving a little. Most of the time I'm not driving. I had to drive to the liquor store to get booze. <laughs> and I had, Sometimes I ran out at the wrong time, so I'd be driving drunk. Right. One time with her in the car. Right. Well, one time I remember because the cop stopped me, and I got off. I had such a good... Why did he stop you? Because somebody had seen me throwing a beer bottle out of the car and reported me. Oh. Thank God he didn't look under the front seat of the car. I mean, I had more beer. Yeah. But I had a good story. I told, it was managing the consequences. I had the phone book. I had the piece that I was going, you know, it's like, and he, he said, uh, somebody, I said, no, it wasn't me. I said, I'm, here's where I'm going. Oh, it's right there. Here's what I'm going to get. It's for my kids. He's back seat sleeping. He let me go. Oh. Huh? So eventually, you managed, I got you caught.
1: Mean, oh, you did. Yeah, eventually, I got caught. But at that, that time, that you managed. Was, it. I was. Your you dad know. would have been proud. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that the was, thing. I had done the, the job. That's the thing. You had done the job. So that's what you learned. So you—that's the kind of thing. Even back, even when you're talking about. So we've we've moved forward from you know from from through high school through, and and the the whole being molested thing is in the background distant past.
2: Well, I get a reminder of it when I was 19 in college, you know, got picked up by a couple of uh novitiate monks at the school where I was studying because mm-hmm. 19-year-olds could drink wine and beer. Mm-hmm. Officially, I wasn't molested because I was a cons- I was an adult. Oh, that's that, how that I got taken that's how that works. to his cell in the monastery. I don't know how I got there and right. woke up with him on me. Was right. Yeah. Consenting, I pre- I presume. As far as... He was I concerned, had, I guess. Yeah, well, no, nothing ever came of it, because yeah. when he was done, I got dressed and walked to my dorm and proceeded to have my school day.
0: Hmm.
2: Once, once again, it was like, you know, close the box, push it aside. Push it aside. I'm
1: done dealing with this. The, fir- the first incident was not even, a, not even was a distant uh, memory, and not even a thing. Did you think, that, had you th- ever thought that that had affected you? Not until I was divorced
2: and then then I, then I you know at some point my divorce was a heartbreaking experience you know i destroyed my family you know we weren't right for each other yeah. two good people weren't right for each other yeah. but we brought this beautiful kid into the world yeah. and and so after the divorce i'm reviewing my life and i really and there's there's these incidents there was a 10 year period after my first molestation where I had no meaningful relationship with anybody
1: of uh, uh, either gender right for no like no like no friends what did well
2: you I know? had friends but everything yeah. was you know it, it really was you know I like was arm, a scout leader blank, so I had the kids that I worked with and I was uh, you know I had friends brothers uh, you know some guys we'd hang around with at college college buddies but I never had that special person yeah who. I get
1: to share my life with. Right. Um, I guess, Why do you think that was? I mean, what, what's the mechanics of that?
2: Well, I have to say that, um, uh, I was prevented from learning enough about myself by my mechanism of avoidance. Okay. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. It's like, it's like if, if, all I needed to do was comb my hair, but I was too drunk to see that my hair was uncombed. Then I would never know to comb my hair. Right. I mean, it's not. It's not you
1: just that. Didn't basic. have the. You just didn't. You never developed the skills. You never no. developed the what would what it would take to have my a relationship. My
2: heroes were the guys who said, you know, I always want to keep a steady high.
1: Yeah. You know,
2: always want to be right. high. Oh, you know, put my drunk on.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I and if I had. Who's with me? I would drink as much as I could for as long as I could because my 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 idea was too much is just about
1: enough, just about right. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I was among friends because, like, the culture that we had grown up in, where the men were entitled to drink. Then, you know, me and my gang, we had done our daily requirement, whatever that was, and then it was time to drink at night. You know. And sometimes it, was, it didn't even matter at night.
1: Yeah. You know. So from the time, so post um, your experience, you, you went to uh, Benedict, Illinois Benedictine. Right. Then I went to Columbia, finished up there. Okay. All right. When
2: I, when I went there, I had re- recognized that I was way out of control um, when I was in uh, Illinois Benedictine. I mean, not only was there that experience but there was the whole lot of weekend drunking and weeknight drinking and Mm -hmm. and smoking pot as often as i could and uh it wasn't working but there was uh, there was class reasons as well it wasn't a good fit for me academically i started the art department there i was there when they started it and for every class i took i had the same teacher oh okay so I needed a change, and they recommended Columbia College, and wow, that was great. I got to Mm -hmm. move back to the city, live at my parents' house. Um, My dad wanted me to get involved with my youngest brother, who is now becoming a scout, and I was allowed to live in his home, with the terms being that I was going to be active in my youngest brother's life. Mm -hmm. So, scouting, then school, Mm -hmm. and that pretty much did it, Um, when I was in school, the kind of still quite lost one of the teachers took me under his wing made me a teaching assistant and mm-hmm. eventually let me teach one of his classes and what did, what did you teach uh, bookmaking i taught mm. people how to make binding and books from yeah. scratch you know for yeah. people who would make uh, scrapbooks and and notebooks and sketch pads and it was it was a way to sh- give people a real Self-confidence builder because they would say I can't do it and say Yeah, you can't. Give me four hours and you're going to make
1: this book. What's the What's the kind of binding that Mo has? She had like some of the books she has. Uh, this is my wife Mo. She writes. She writes book, you know books and sort mm-hmm. of makes art pieces out of them. And Shitsu box. Oh, nice. Is I've it, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, is, that, is that right? I, I Am I saying be, it right? I don't know. I know Shitsu is a dog, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder what the dog. uh, Yeah, anyway, uh, I digress. I'm sorry, but we'll have to get back to that sometime. But anyway, so you're teaching a bookbinding class, and that sounds like it was a, um, I don't know, sounds like it was good for you. Right. He said to me after one, you know, one particularly
2: good class, he said, "So what are you going to do now?" And I said, (laughs) "I'm going to go home and get drunk." (laughs) He said, "Why?" And I said, "Isn't that what you do? You did a great job. You go home and get drunk." Heck yeah. I was really startled that he
1: didn't recognize that that's the normal process. Because that's how deeply normal it was to you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it really was. Was that like the first recognition or the beginning of a recognition that what you were doing wasn't normal or had you known that already?
2: Oh, that's a good question. There was a guy who had driven me home from my dad's gas station. He often had to get us guys to drive us home because we were kids in school days and school nights and dad was going to be out for a while. And one of them, I said, well, you know, my brother had influenced me about, you know, pot was a better alternative than drinking. And he said, oh, man, those guys are going at it. And I go, yeah, they should be smoking pot. And he said, why? I said, because, you know, it's better than beer. He says, what about the possibility of neither? And I looked at him like, you know, hmm. when did Aliens land? What, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what? I remember he was driving this really sweet Pontiac with this, like, like romantically beautiful dashboard. And, and you know, it was like a Catalina back in the
1: like oh, 60s,
2: God. 70s. I mean, it was really this neat car. But I thought... Dude, <laughs> you are a communist. <laughs> <laughs> you're,
1: you're, yeah, you're an. You yeah. Know, uh, you, so you know.
2: th- those two guys, those two voices, were the two in the long line of like this is normal that we're not who spoke to the. It's not normal. Okay.
1: Um, I think I think what we'll do is we'll take a we'll take a short breather here. Yeah. Um, and play a little. What are you going to play for us tonight?
0: Just by walk the moon. Walk the Moon. The name of the song is Anna Sun. It's a kind of a summary kind of thing, which doesn't really fit well on a, on a cold January night, but you know what? I like it. So. Okay, so you're going to play we're it because you it. like it, darn it. Yeah, thank you for being with us here tonight. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we will be back in five. Thanks for joining us here at Recovery Internet Radio, and uh, we'll catch you in, in just a moment.
1: My feet are still sore, my back's on the fringes, we tore up the walls, we slept on couches, we lifted this house, we lifted this house, firecrackers in the heat, my car parked out, your hands on
2: my cheek, your shoulder in my mouth, I-
1: I wanted to mention some friends of ours. Um, let's see who we got. We have got uh, Dirty Laundry Designs. You um, know,
0: what, I, can I uh, interrupt just just really quick because I I think we came back and uh, the mic might not have been on for for your reintroduction. Oh, oh okay. So welcome back, everybody. Okay. <laughs> uh
1: huh. Okay. Well, I was just going to go do a couple of quick uh, shout outs to our friends. Um, Dirty Laundry Designs, fresh cards for addiction and recovery. Uh, you can contact Colleen at Dirty Laundry Designs. They make really cool cards for recovery occasions. Um, we also have some friends that are in a band called Double Take, and you can find out what Double Take is doing by going to... DoubleTakeChicago.com, I believe. Yeah, it's
0: cool. They got they have some some a little playlist of some of their music. You can you can hear some of their original original tracks. Yeah. Well, they do a lot of covers, but they, you can hear them actually play. good music. Good times.
1: Yeah, yeah, good times. Good times. Okay, so how about we get back to our conversation? Sure. Shall we? You ready for, ready for that? Yeah. So I think um, you know one of the things that I had asked, uh, we, we had talked a little bit about is, I think you had had. Uh, you'd had a a run a run in with um a recovery program somewhere early in your what what how did that happen and when i i'm not sure of the exact date but
2: uh, i was back on the southwest side of chicago and um were you still going to columbia or was it i think this was before i even got to columbia i think this was during my drinking at the first school okay my eldest brother um took me to my first AA meeting. Oh, okay. I don't remember him staying inside or if he dropped out off you there. there. Yeah. Um, because of all the brothers he was like the most responsible, serious, like you know, he was he's the he's the archetypal first son. Yeah. He's got twelve behind him, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> you know, he's right. the he's the first child. Yeah. So so I'm at this meeting and um I remember being possessed by a judgment against everybody. Mm. They're replacing booze with coffee and smokes. Mm-hmm. It was a, The place was a cloud. Sure. What did they say? It didn't matter. It was them versus me. Yeah. And I'm not one of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't exact. You weren't, you weren't joining up. No. Right. No.
2: The smoke I smoked wasn't allowed in that room. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, you know. Right. Yeah. So... And, and it didn't make sense. So. there was some irony there that you're pissed off at smokers, but yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, that was the one and only visit prior to, um, the real trouble I caused myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that, I just want to, cause I, I know we had spoken about that before and I just wanted to, you know, it's like your brother must've known something.
2: Oh, I'm sure he wasn't the only one. Um, I constantly, throughout the course of my adult life, believed I was owed something. Hmm. So I had, when my parents kicked me out, I just showed up at another brother's door and expected him to take me in. Hmm. And he did. The guy's, you know, just great. Thank you, God, for yeah. my brother, you know. And he never liked me. <laughs> Having me around, he never would have said, hey, come on and
1: live with me. It but was when like, you showed up. Yeah, it, it
2: was like, all right, whatever. You yeah. Know? And uh, the last time I showed up at his place was in um, 88. Mm. And um, by the beginning of 89, he like, had had enough of my crap and said, mm. you've got to do something. And so... Um, so and, what did he see? Well, I think he... What did he see? I was... Avoiding making any commitment to a real life. I I was a really good photo assistant. I worked with some of the great photographers in Chicago. I had worked my way to the place where I was respected in my field, but I was always able to work just enough to get by and not much more. Then I connected with a guy who was a photographer who basically his photography studio was the the front so that he can get women. Yeah. You know. And he manipulated me into thinking that I was going to be able to build my business there, which was more slavery for him. And, you know, it was like he got free work out of me. And what little time I had available to work on developing my clientele was, you know, it it was always going to be models and actors for their headshots. And there was no money in that. So I was really always scraping the bottom. Mm.
1: And um, so that's what that's what. He, saw. he like saw that, yeah, I was a addict. going nowhere guy.
2: Well, and drinking my ass off and, right. you know, and, and being altered as much as possible, not yeah. contributing to home life. Right. You know, and uh, so I went to ACOA. Hmm. Uh, first meeting was on January 1st in 1989. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, and that's just for those who don't know adult children of alcoholics. Right. Obviously, I had a problem with my dad's drinking. Right. It messed me up. Right. You know. So, um, without anybody making me, I made a commitment to not drink. So, from that... While you were
1: going to ACOA,
2: Right. And then, you know, it was a beginner's meeting, and, you know, and so we covered the first three steps. It was a large meeting over at the Northwestern Hospital's cafeteria or something, Mm -hmm. you know, Sunday mornings. It was kind of cool, you know. Uh, Met a therapist through there, and she offered a group therapy for working the 12 steps of Adult children of alcoholics, so I took it and went mm-hmm. through it and graduated, got a certificate, you know, I was mm-hmm. qualified. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> even though you didn't really need the certificate, yeah, my no, friend. or or or, <laughs> or the or the, or the <laughs> you hadn't you hadn't even found out what graduation was yet. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so there I was, and um, September
2: fifth, I met a woman who I married five weeks later. Wow. And one of the things that she liked about me was I wasn't drinking.
1: Oh. Was she also an ACOA? I, I you know. I, I mean, you didn't meet her there. She wasn't. No, my, my no, question.
2: I didn't. The, 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 <laughs> the one woman I did meet at ACOA reminded me never to date in the program, you know. <laughs> it was just kind of, wow. Yeah. Um, but that's another story altogether. I mean, it, mostly it was it right. was a lot of self-hatred, and it was devo- directed at me because I was the nearest person And our time was peppered with this real hate speech. And then, Mm -hmm. call me, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love you. Call me. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, But I met this woman, and she was just, you know, perfect for me, and I was perfect for her. We got married and had this great kid. And um, at some point during the first few months of our marriage, somebody gave me a bottle of champagne for a job well done. Mm. And my wife said to me let's have the champagne, I said I don't drink I had actually been working as a bartender for at Excalibur not drinking <laughs> and and I think that's the reason they kept me because I stunk as a, bar, a bartender but you didn't drink up the profits so. and I, I was able to narc on everybody who was you, yeah. know? It's like, <laughs> you know you know and so uh, the bartenders hated me and the management loved me they wanted to keep me around and I wasn't drinking so um, but she had, we had gotten this bottle of champagne, and she said to me, come on, let's drink it. I said, I don't drink. She said, what harm could it do? And I said, you're absolutely right. What harm could it do? Yeah. And we drank that champagne. And with that, the floodgates opened. From 1989 until 1998, I proceeded to drink and smoke dope as much as I could, as often as I could. It was like I had never stopped, and my the cool part about me being married to a flight attendant was when she was gone, she didn't know how bad it got, yeah. As long as, I mean, there was one time. You one, could hide it. Well, yeah. one, one time she, you know, she, the trip canceled, and she showed up back at the house, and I got, you know, the porno videos, and I got the cigarettes, and I got the booze, and I, I got a bag of and She, what the hell's going on? I thought you were on a
1: trip. This, right. this is my time. This you is know, the party. <laughs> I don't you understand? <laughs>
2: so, um, you know, I, I always uh, declared I was an honest person, and she was the one who pointed out to me, are you honest when you? drink on the way to the liquor store to get us wine and buy an extra bottle, of 40-ounce bottle, and drink it on the way home so you can drink a little bit of wine with me and not...
1: And have her think that that little bit of wine was the it. only alcohol that you were drinking when, right. in fact, you were drinking before and after. Right, I mean, that and that I wouldn't it.
2: see it in the garbage can when right. she'd ask herself that. So she knew that. Yeah, she was clear about that. And there was enough fights where, you know, they ended up with, you know, it doesn't really matter... What's right or wrong with our marriage? The fact that you're drinking makes us as a couple unable to resolve whatever it is. Why did she want a a
1: person that wasn't drinking in the first place?
2: I don't know that that she wanted. She just liked the fact that I wasn't. Right. She had been divorced. She was married to a a musician for a while, and I don't know, you know, why they broke up or whatever. You know, I just think that they had grown apart, and. But yeah, she didn't know what alcoholism was like in my family, right? Um, And her own family history—that's hers, you know. Yeah. Uh, Certainly, there's probably some alcoholism that affected her somewhere down in the ancient past.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only reason I ask is just because normally that's not—you know—somebody would prefer a non-drinker. There's usually, they have their own reasons for that, whatever, yeah. their own their own experiences with their stuff or somebody else's in the past. And, she certainly had experiences. So she already had a Something. mindset that it would be better if she was married to somebody that didn't drink.
2: And then when I became a drinking guy,
1: and it yeah. went right from zero to 60. Right. I bet you she was sh- shocked. Hurt. She, was she, Hurt. Is, yeah. Is the I'm word. Sure. When you, you know, you, like, that's, a, that's betrayal. I mean, that's like... Totally. You, you told me you didn't drink, and now what? Yeah, you're, and then you're, you're drinking like a fish for 10 years or yeah. 11 years or however many years? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah, and that, that just ended up destroying the marriage. That right. Was I mean, the other things, I, sure.
2: you know, I, I got to the point where, you know, I was watching the kid and drinking because, I, you know, it was, it was permission was granted. There was, you know, you feed this child, you nap this child, you change diapers, and mm-hmm. you prevent her from putting her fingers in the electric socket, and you're pretty much done. Yeah. Now, I was really an active dad. I doted yeah. on my child, and i did do whatever I could. Right. But I felt entitled to drink. Yeah. You know, so... Um,
1: yeah, and it reminds me of what you said about your dad, in a way. Like, if he did what he was supposed to do, he was entitled to drink. Right. And,
2: you know, the the problem for me was... I would drink while I was watching my kid. Yeah. Now you know we had a stroller, so I didn't have to drive. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, yeah, drink, right. you know the so DUI. You can,
1: drink, you can drink and walk. DUI for a stroller. Well, you yeah, know? I don't know. What do they call that? A TUI? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
2: Trollery. <laughs> Trollery. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I uh, I remember one time uh, she was still a baby, and uh, I was supposed to be giving her a bath, and I had been drinking hard liquor. Uh, Probably because I didn't have a chance to get to the liquor store. It was too early in the day. And so uh, I'm drinking um, clear liquid alcohol. And uh, she's in the the tub, and I'm filling the tub, and I'm so jacked that I faint. Mm. And uh, the water's filling. Yeah. And... uh, Thank God I hit my head hard against the porcelain of the tub, and it brought me back, too. Right. But if you hadn't... I I would have killed my kid that day. Yeah. And um, that was near the end. Yeah. That was near the end. It was like, you know, I did get a DUI, and I did drive on a suspended license, and I did, you know... The trouble I caused myself was because I, I drove on that suspended license for three months... Went to, we went to Houston, and I rented a car and drove on that suspended license in that car. If we would have stopped in Houston, my wife was at a conference, and I've got the kid and me, and we're spending our days together, and now Daddy's in jail. Right.
1: <laughs> you know? That could have gone very badly. It you.
2: went badly as it was. I got stopped in Lincoln the hills,
1: the nearby community. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I— So what launched you finally back into the program?
2: What got me to get started was in 1998, as a child-raising parent at home, I had tried everything I could to stop drinking, or to not even stop it, but to make it not be so impactful, negatively impactful on my life. Right. Uh, neighbor said, "Well, just you know, drink less." I was like, "I tried. Yeah. Drink water in between drinks. I tried. I tried. You know, my dad had this thing was you know not." before seven o'clock at night, then it became not before five o'clock, then it's you know, five o'clock yeah. somewhere. Um, that was kind of my thing. You know, there, wasn't, there, there was no parameters I could set by which drinking was okay. The last day of my drinking, I figured I had it totally worked out. I had done all the house cleaning, I had done all the dishes, the house was ready. We were having a block party that I could walk to mm. and my wife was at home and she promised to take my daughter from the time the party started till the end of the day.
1: So I had every single base covered. I covered it. That is called managing your drinking right down the line. Your I dad, got a gold, again, star. <laughs> gold star. once again, be proud. It was a gold star moment <laughs> for me, Mr. C. Wherever you are, your son he did finally it. made it. Yeah, yeah,
2: and. Um, the block party ended before the tapper ran dry, mm. so one of the neighbors said to me, "We're going to go finish this at the neighbor's house. You want to join us?" Wow! I made it. Sure. Not only am I drinking, but I'm welcome in this community to join them for their party. So we went and we continued to drink into the night, uh, playing penny poker and drinking and drinking, and I got so, I was so drunk that we, well, we drank the tap dry, and then they opened a bottle of Miller Genuine Drafts and put it right in front of me, and I never, ever even lifted the bottle. I was so buzzed, but I knew it was time for me to go after I suggested that we play strip poker with all their wives. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> seemed like a great idea to yeah, me. Yeah, I remember you telling me that, I was laughing. You play strip poker with other guys' wives. Yeah, I love you know, that. Yeah. I, that I didn't get Beat the hell right yeah, there. It surprises me. Yeah.
2: But, you know, they were all drunk, too. But, you know, then it was time for me to bomb a nose, you know. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, <laughs> I got a run. Really. Yeah.
2: It was only a, a block and a half away, but I stumbled, hit several trees on the way, and got home and uh, um, passed out in the living room. Uh, my wife found me there and startled me awake, and it was a, a weird experience. Um, I felt under pressure, like um, I was in a, a balloon, mm. and everything that she said was like somebody putting a finger into the balloon. It was just extra pressure, mm-hmm. no matter what she was saying. She, she, as far as I know, she was saying, are you all right? You don't look good. But what I was hearing is, something, you look bad, you know, and it was really, right. so I ran out of the house and I went and found the car door open and passed out on the floor of the car. She called the cops. And they came over and she said, I'm really worried about him. And the cops said, well, if he's in his car and he has his keys, yeah. we're going to have to arrest him. Right. Fortunately, I had walked. And so the final, you know, the silver lining on the gold star was that they weren't going to arrest me yeah. because the keys were hanging up and I didn't have them. So I slept yeah. it off. And the next day, I think it was Labor Day weekend, I really felt like crap. But I was also... Um, not only the physical, you know, the immense headache, that nauseous feeling mm. all day. I had not had that plenty of times. And, you know, hair of the yeah. dog will take care of that sure. or make you some other place. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, um, the day was marked by isolation. She left me alone. Mm. And toward 3.30, she came up to me and said, what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. And walked away. She didn't even want an answer.
1: Right. What are you going to do? Not what are we going to do? It was
2: not, my, it was not her problem.
1: All right. And I wanted the heat turned
2: down. I wanted to not feel like this. And um, I had a moment of clarity. And that meeting that I had attended where those guys were smoking and drinking mm-hmm. coffee seemed like a better alternative than what I had here. Yeah. That, that there was a thing called AA. L- ACOA had told us enough about what AA was. It seemed like I had finally qualified. And so I said to her, I'm going to AA. Mm-hmm. She said, good. Like she could really care. Yeah. And I, I started going. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days, 120 meetings in 120 days, whatever. I went to a meeting a day. Yeah. And stopped drinking that day. I, never, I haven't had a drink since then. Um, but I'm a smart guy, and I am a legalist like anybody else. I'd, re- I'd be willing to shoot angles. I'd mm-hmm. be willing to look for a loophole. And I found one. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Mm. So I started working with the sponsor. I think it was about eight months into it. And I admitted to him that I was smoking pot. And he said to me, why don't you stop? I agreed I would try to stop. And I tried for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and decided I didn't like not smoking pot. So I went back to it. But I made sure I didn't tell him.
1: Yeah. For four years. Yeah. And so just one quick connection. Remember the title of the show, <laughs> The Marijuana Maintenance Program, right? And this is where it begins. This is where it begins. Sorry for the long introduction. Well, but that's okay. That's what we, that's, we have to have the whole
2: thing. I had stopped drinking. But I wasn't at a real bottom because um, I just didn't want consequences, and AA gave me that license to continue smoking pot. My sponsor didn't, but he thought I was
0: walking straight and narrow,
2: and I avoided any. I I avoided ever lying outright. Mm -hmm. At my I went to meetings. I was uh, I don't think I I wasn't sponsoring anybody. No, I wasn't. Uh, I was going to meetings. I was uh, home groups, you know, regular meetings that I attended with the same people, Mm -hmm. and I was smoking pot in between. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think I may have bought pot a couple times in those four years, but most of the time it was when I was with friends, I was on campouts. Got arrested once for possession on a campout, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't stop me.
1: Um, And how long did you go that way? Four years. Yeah.
2: It was toward the end of the time that I recognized well, I actually had the opportunity to buy and I bought mm. you know some some amount
0: Yeah.
2: A half ounce quarter ounce something and I found myself going through it burning through it at a remarkable pace hmm. having been the guy who owned we could smoke when somebody had it and yeah. they you know they'd portion out a, yeah. a single hit yeah. you know I take a puff and I'm done now I've got Abundance, you know, an <laughs> abundance of it, and it's like it's not enough, you know. So I'm burning it all day long, and and it was during that time, in in the midst of my inebriation with it, that I recognized that I was doing with pot what I had done with alcohol,
1: mm-hmm. and it had progressed.
2: And it had, it just became the replacement.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, at current, I was going to meetings, and at the time, I was in a home group where I, the people in that, that room did not represent what I saw myself becoming as a, an adult. Yeah. They had many years, but what they had, I'm not going to judge them. It wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, So I stopped going, and that was my license to not going to meetings at all. So starting sometime late in uh, 2002, I stopped going to meetings <clears throat> because I had it figured out. Right. I wasn't going to be like those guys. And I had my drug, which was marijuana. Mm-hmm. And uh, So you
1: were just going to do the kind of Like I got, got thing it handled. Smoke pot and not drink. Yeah.
2: And I don't, who needs meaning? They're talking about drinking. I don't drink. Right.
0: Um,
2: I was working for a guy at the time who had given me an opportunity to come back from being Mr. Mom by let, allowing me to build for him, do construction work. He, he was on a very limited income for the project, so he couldn't afford to have a whole crew. So, And design decisions were coming slow anyway, so it was kind of a perfect blending. I, I'd work for him, write my own hours. He could afford to pay me. The project went slowly along, but it was proceeding. And he didn't care if I smoke or drink on the job. Well, I didn't drink, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I smoked. And then it, there was a point at which he said, you know what? This isn't working. Uh you can't be, you can't be working here smoking pot. And so, uh, I was shocked because I had worked for him for years in yeah. photography. Yeah. And you know, we never smoked during photography jobs, but yeah. this is just construction, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, um, but he said, no, you can't, you can't smoke if you want to work for me. And so, uh, the last time I did smoke pot. I was working for him, I finished the day's work and found the stash and figured I'm entitled. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time I was drinking a lot of coffee because I wasn't drinking and I was smoking cigarettes because I, you know, cuz they're legal. You know, sure, got for, you know, whatever. They're still legal. Um, and uh then I smoked pot and my heart <laughs> started racing. And I threw up and I felt sick. And I realized that I was in the same boat I had been in and drinking now with pot. Yeah. And I went out on the guy's back porch and I'm sitting there and I, I I looked down and my fingers are pointing at each other about a half inch apart from each other. And I, and I think of that, that picture on the Sistine Chapel of yeah. the finger, God and, and man reaching out. And I, I said, God, I, I can't do this alone. Help me. God, help me. Mm. I want to live. And at that moment, I made a decision. I was done. Mm. I haven't smoked pot since. I haven't done mind-altering drugs since. Mm-hmm. And, and when was that? Um, sometime in April of 2003. I, I say that my sobriety date is May 1st so that there's no, you know, yeah. scrutiny about yeah. it. Yeah. an easy day
1: to remember. Sure. So, um Better than April Fool's Day, anyway. I think <laughs>
2: I had plenty of those. I, I don't think it was just April. <laughs>
1: Good morning, another Fool's Day. Just kidding. Yeah, my Friday day is April first. Just yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah no, so. May first, better. Yeah. Yeah. So uh,
2: I had a friend come and take me home, and uh, and then I went back to the home group and said to them, "Well, first off, I didn't tell them. I continued to lie for another week or two, and." Got another sponsor, and he's defending me because these guys were, you know, yeah, bitch slapping answer. me for being gone for, for six months or whatever. And finally, I took him aside and I said, you know, I was smoking pot. At which point he said to me, "You really should find something that works for you. We don't smoke pot. You don't want what we got. I can't be your sponsor." I was devastated. Hmm. More than that moment on the back porch was the moment when when I was rejected by the people of AA Mm -hmm. because I wasn't willing to do what they asked. Yeah. I asked another guy to sponsor me and then I proceeded to ignore him for a month and when he finally caught up with me he said, I'm not your sponsor. I said, why not? He says, because you don't call me. Mm. Good luck. So I got another guy and asked him and he said, sure. And We talked a few times and I realized I'm not doing this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm in a very dangerous spot. Right. So I finally found a guy who I kept as a sponsor for eight years. Hmm. We sit down with him and I said, all right, I was in AA for four years before I got to this place and now I'm ready to work the program. Here's my story. And I told him, I said, I don't want to have any secrets with right. you. beginning to end. you got to know all about
1: me. Right. And then he was ready to help.
2: Right there. He says, you know, I can't help you if I don't know where you are. Right. So don't lie. Don't right. omit anything. Tell me the story. Yeah. And that, and he was my sponsor for for eight years. Um, I went back to the home group and admitted that, you know, I well, they had already known. But I said, all right, I'm, I want what you got. Because what you've got is, there was a different group. There was a Friday night home group and a Thursday night. The Friday night home group was really solid guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, you know, Roger was in that group mm-hmm. and some other guys. And, uh, and some of them were still doing it, that Friday night group. And Don't take
1: yourself too seriously, Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, rule 62.
2: Yeah. And, he, uh, and I came back and, and I said, all right, I, I'm in. Count me in. They said, okay, we don't smoke pot. I said, all right, I don't smoke pot. I said, I drink non-alcoholic beer, right? And they said, what? <laughs> and they said, you know, non-alcoholic beer. Somebody pointed out, well, there's alcohol in non-alcoholic beer. I said, yeah, but do the math. Right. 12 bottles equals enough alcohol as one beer. Right. And I used to drink a case of beer to get Loaded, so we're talking a case times 12, so I'd have to drink 12 cases of beer to get bombed.
1: Right, not to mention how many times you'd have to take a leak.
2: Right, right. Yeah. And they looked at me and they said, it's got alcohol in it. Why do you want to drink something that tastes like what you used to use to get drunk?
1: Right.
2: I said, hmm, I don't know. They said, non-alcoholic beer It's for non-alcoholics. Hmm. We don't drink non-alcoholic beer. And I said, I completely disagree with you, but I want what you got. And so despite the fact that I disagree with you, hmm. I'm going to do what you suggest, and I won't drink non-alcoholic beer. And that, and
1: that beer. sounds to me like, the, in a way, the turning point, the the point at which you were willing to do whatever it would take, whether you liked it or not. The, you know, it
2: was like some people, you know, they hit the bottom and they bounce right up. I kind of like was an airplane in a dive and <laughs> get it a little bit. Yeah, you know, touched yeah. the water a few times and yeah. then, you know pulled out and you know touched it again and then slowly the rise to place. Let me let
1: me ask you a couple of things, and and then we probably need to talk about wrapping this. But um, what would you say about the difference between your sober life and your life as uh, an alcohol and drug user? I mean, what, what what is, what's different for you now?
2: Oh my God, everything's different.
1: I'm, I'm not a spectator in my life.
2: Decisions mm. aren't being made around me to prevent me from hurting myself or others. Mm. My family and friends don't avoid inviting me to things or making sure they put away the good stuff so that <laughs> so I don't, don't wreck it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to, you know, there's, not a, there's yeah. no fear I'm going to wreck, you know, break the hot tub again or pee right. in the garage between the screens or pee out the, the second story <laughs> window. There's, there's uh, you know, the, gla- the, the, the uh, champagne glasses aren't going to be shattered because I stumbled. Yeah. Um, the kids are going to be safe. Yeah. You know, um, I'm actually going to be able to hold a conversation with somebody. Yeah, I'm actually going to be able to make a decision. My life has changed completely. You don't have to lie anymore either, do you? The truth doesn't change. And so when I can tell my story, like I'm telling you today, I'm telling you the same story. Yeah. You know, there's probably parts of it that some people haven't heard. And probably for their own good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it's, but it's the truth. It's the true story. Um, after getting sober, five years sober, my marriage ended. Mm. and the good news about that was as a sober guy I asserted that it would be best for my daughter that she live with me in her home and that's what I got Mm. Um, I've had relationships with people since my marriage and in in the, the, the truest form of sobriety I've been present in the now for these relationships and and now I'm in with someone I truly love and it's been remarkable because I'm present. Yeah. And,
1: um, it's hard to have a relationship with somebody else when you're having an intimate relationship with a substance.
2: It's and all the baggage you carry (laughs) with it. All the
1: baggage that comes with that. Exactly. You know, there
2: was a time in our, this woman I'm with, uh, Rini is really fine. And the, Early in the relationship, she scared me because it seemed a lot like something in my past. Mm. Sober guy talked to her. It took me a while, but I talked to her, and what a difference it made. Mm. Drunk guy, stoner guy would have hightailed it. Yeah. And then, of course, categorized it as her problem. You know, was, you know right. what she wanted was totally unreasonable. Right. Turns out we wanted the
1: same thing. But sober guy.
2: Get came lost.
1: back came back yeah stays in the stays in the
2: acknowledge the mistake that avoidance yeah. that
1: a week long of
2: avoidance because I was so afraid, but then talked
1: let me uh I think that's really a good those are some really good things, and I know in the program they I think they talk about some stuff called the promises, and maybe not all of them are't in that in those last statements, but some of them are yeah you can you can sort of extricate some of the. You know the key ones, but one. I guess I kind of want to ask maybe one final question, and that is. I know we were going to talk a little bit about the legalization matter, and I think we're going to skip that tonight because that's a whole. Okay. That's a whole other, you know, whole other ball. Legal allows.
2: or otherwise, I'm not using it.
1: Yeah. So for so you, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. If it's not legalized. my. It's think, not my battle to fight.
2: <laughs> I hope that whoever's using it isn't driving.
1: Yeah, and doing it responsibly, like you would do anything else. Other things that normal people do. Yeah. We don't really know that much about I've already done my share. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So if um, there were some people out there, some uh, people out there that were listening that maybe were thinking about um, getting sober, they, were, they heard your story, they, um, maybe they were in the early part of their recovery and they have some questions in their, in their head, what would be a couple of the main things that you would suggest to people those folks either early recovery or somebody who's considering recovery what would you say to them
2: two weeks before i got into aa i thought i had it figured out Hmm. i thought i could manage my drinking Mm -hmm. when i finally hit the bottom and the bottom took me four years to hit completely because i stopped drinking four years before i got sober yeah and hitting the bottom i recognized that if I'm only looking in the mirror, I'm always going to get the same answers. And I'm not the smartest guy in the room. There's a blind spot in me that relates to alcoholism and drug use. And I can't see myself using it appropriately. I don't know what that looks like. I never will. And I don't care. I, I, I don't mind that I, I won't. What I found out that I could live in the Garden of Eden as long as I don't eat from that tree. Yeah,
1: right.
2: But it's still the Garden of Eden. Right. I have work potential, fulfilling relationship potential. I have a lifestyle that is actually worth living. I guess the hardest part was humility to take direction from somebody else. Yeah. And I think the biggest hurdle was acting before I understood Somebody came in and said, do this. This is how it works. Somebody said to me, this is how it works. And I said, why does it work? They said, this is how it works. Not why it works. This is how it works. And that's the hardest message to get to somebody new. We're not going to tell you why it works. We're going to tell you how it works. Because if you do this, it will work. Mm -hmm. I knew a guy who spent 10 years trying to figure out why and wasn't sober. And the minute he started listening to how it works and doing that, he got sober and 2 years later he now understands why it works yeah but that's something you find out in the rear view mirror
1: right it's like a lot of times putting something together is difficult it, um, but if you follow the directions it you know it's a pain in the neck but it usually works
2: right and i think that the if we can if if i was going to share with somebody who's trying to, to think if it's for them or not, or somebody who's new in sobriety. You're surrounded by people who know you because they know themselves. And if they have recovery, and if they aren't drinking, and they are working on any kind of realistic program of recovery, you can trust them. Mm. But... but You have to feel comfortable with them enough to trust them. But you can tell. If you go to enough meetings with these people and you listen to them and you listen to what people say about them and to them and who talks to them, you'll get a sense of who the person is you can trust, who knows you. Because there will be a time in your sobriety when they will say something that you categorically disagree with. I know. I did.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And at that point, I was at the junction of... Or the intersection of right. do I do my when will or said, do
1: what they want? I disagree with you, but I will do it. it. Made all the difference in the world to me. Well, David, thank you for coming out tonight. I appreciate it, you and Reed. Very nice. Thanks for having us. Nice. I'm humbled by it. And nice job. Very nice job. Good message. And uh, we've got a couple of uh, couple of things we want to say in in. Uh, in closing and uh and then we'll we'll sh- we'll shut her down tonight because good heavens we got to pull you out of the ditch
0: <laughs> <laughs> any listeners out there listening live in the yeah, area? yeah if there's anybody I'll, else out there it has, uh, <laughs> has changed it's, we
1: almost made it all the way yeah, here uh, like how how
0: far are you like 500 feet i mean oh uh, like, right, just right there anyway
1: thanks tonight t- to david and also torini for being here and thanks to our listeners um or making us uh, a successful little underground support source for the recovery community. We'll email out our reminders for next week's show, usually Thursday or Friday. We get lucky, sometimes get Saturday, <laughs> if we don't. Um, we try to look at recovery from a wide and open pers- perspective. So we, we have a, a wide range of um, ideas and thoughts here. And, um, you know, those those thoughts belong to the people that Express them. Um, remember, please, to check recoveryinternetradio.com. That's recoveryinternetradio.com. For all our archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list. We hope you do uh, sign up for that list and do log on
0: to Recovery Internet Radio. Yeah, because we very want nice. To know. Very nice weekly email. I mean, it's graphics. Amazing.
1: it's, it's like, sweet. Yeah, it
0: is. Nice. I might vary it this week, though, just for the heck of it. But anyway, <laughs>
1: um, but we would like to know where our listeners come from. So if you log on and get onto our email list, we would know that because we're an internet radio show. We don't know where the heck you are. So we'd love to hear from you. Um, and as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show tonight, and we'll see you at 7 p.m. next Sunday night. Thanks.